Welcome to your Active Stack Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at the European Cyber Solidarity Act and how it fits into Europe's cybersecurity strategy. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website euroactive.com. This is Euroactive's Tech Brief Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Eva Tasheva, cybersecurity leader at Cyan, and Francesco Bordone, manager for cybersecurity policies at the European Cybersecurity Organization. Hello, both. Hello. So, Eva, let me start with you. Um, last week, we have seen the uh, Cyber Solidarity Act presented by the European Commission. How do you see this proposal in the context of the European cybersecurity strategy? The Cyber Solidarity Act is just one of the big European cybersecurity puzzle. It is the latest piece that we are following with lots of interest, um, but it would be decided for what is in the, this piece specifically. Why? Because the essence of the EU Cyber Solidarity Act will be uh, the European Cyber Security Shield. So Shield Up is a very interesting campaign that the US also has launched last um, year. And it is um, basically showing the readiness of the EU to go to the next level in cybersecurity. It's not just something we speak about, we fear but we are ready, we have the tools, and we are serious about protecting ourselves. What we will have in practice is the cyber emergency mechanism and the cyber incident review mechanism. This is a typical recommendation I would give as a cybersecurity consultant to my companies. Cyber resilience is not only about measures. Cyber resilience is about making sure that when you are attacked, you respond correctly so an incident stays an incident and doesn't become a crisis or, uh, let's say, a disaster for you. And also, when you have an incident, it is an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to learn what has happened, why was that allowed, but also with intelligence, and here I think is also the key for EU to look at the big picture. What does this incident mean for Europe? Is it isolated case? Is it a pattern? Is it systematic? What is really the objective behind? This all could only happen if the uh, EU puts together the resources, the cooperation, the mechanism of member states but also allows this the role of ENISA to, to contribute to put this denominator that does the analysis. And now um, also uh, an important element that is more operational, maybe to those of you that are not following cybersecurity specifically would be a new element, but I think it's important to understand the SOCs, the cyber operation centers. So those are machines. I would call it like this because you have um, inside working technology 
AI, um, different detection system, local analysis systems, working together to define scenarios with people. So those cybersecurity experts that are very scarce on the market, we have to use them to the full potential and making sure that they serve not one individual company, but also through national or cross-national or international SOCs, they are also able to um, contribute with their expertise analysis of the information gathered by tools and analyze what is going on, what is happening, are we under attack, what can we do, what should we do, also improve our uh, response. This shows that the EU is um, continue to invest, so deploy its cybersecurity strategy. Um, those initiatives, they are um, usually okay interesting for people interested in policy like us but they're very interesting for the industry because they would also materialize in specific projects and specific funding in opportunities to actually develop more um, interesting tools and collaboration that would enable that would improve the cybersecurity. and now um, what i also wanted to mention is that for me as a cybersecurity expert we usually think of cyber resilience or cyber security in different steps and maturity. So in the beginning, you would have uh, to identify what you want to protect in this. We already have at EU level, we know which is our critical infrastructure. We know which is our essential service providers. We also need to protect. And with this, we have a multiple um, multitude of regulations that implement specific security measures as well as investment in member states to improve their cyber capacity and now we are moving to the next step which usually companies find very very difficult and it's very good news to see that the eu is getting this maturity to go towards the detection and the response side and this is a very positive news for European cyber security. Thank you, Eva. Um, there are, of course, a few elements uh, to unpack there. Uh, Francesco, let's start with a reaction from, from the private sector about this proposal. Uh, there is a, a lot of talk up at the EU level about uh, having a closer collaboration with uh, companies and uh, and the cyber solidarity act puts forth this idea of creating a cyber uh, a cyber reserve of trusted service providers what's your view on, on all of this uh, connecting also to what uh, eva said before i would say that this is very positive news that actually the european commission would like to have a cyber reserve a sort of a group of firefighters who can be called in case of an attack uh, from uh, a private sector perspective this is surely a good op a good opportunity because uh, companies if they are certified they can actually be part of the cyber reserve and they can provide their services and gain a lot of visibility and have opportunities to apply for tenders all over the EU. So actually, it's uh, it's really important from a company perspective, but also if we zoom back and we look at the, let's say, cyber scenario glo globally, we see that uh, also with the war in Ukraine and before also when the, there was the attack in 2007 against Estonia, the public-private partnership is always the best solution. 
because at the end, uh, the the public sector and the private sector, they cannot act alone. They always need to cooperate. And uh, by this collaboration, if this is done in the right way, actually, we can obtain uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good results. So for me, uh, the opportunity uh, to have a cyber reserve is uh, surely positive. And it's good that uh, thanks to the recent uh, cyber attacks, in, as I said, in Ukraine and Estonia, um, Europe is, uh, let's say, getting stronger and understanding this importance of uh, public-private cooperation. And, uh, and this is also good news because in Europe, actually, we have very good companies that are very active in cyber. And this can be a good opportunity for them to gain some visibility. Uh, here, everybody knows the big uh, players uh, globally, but it's also important to give the opportunity to European companies and especially startups and SMEs to gain visibilities, uh, gain the opportunity to have uh, public tenders and actually help governments to uh, sort out uh, incidents, uh, cyber incidents, and make sure that they don't become uh, tragedies and disasters. So, yeah, from a private sector perspective, I would say this is definitely encouraging and going the right direction. Right. Um, so Francesco mentioned uh, the idea that these trusted providers must be certified uh, to enter the cyber reserve. Uh, and we have seen that cybersecurity certification at the EU level has not been without uh, controversy, especially uh, for what concerns uh, the limitation of participation of uh, non-European companies. Eva, can we expect the EU to go uh, into a similar direction here? And if so, which uh, approach can we expect? Can we expect uh, only uh, limitation to uh, high-risk vendors, so-called high-risk vendors, as it was the case for 5G, for example, or to any uh, non-European company to take up these very sensitive tasks? Yes, so it's um, there is, um, in fact, um, specific criteria according to which the companies would be selected to become part of the cyber security reserve. Um, and this, um, of course, would be defined according to the uh, government objectives, but being a European company is not on the list. What I would think of certification, obviously, always is... Um, is a mean to to filter to to select to to apply specific criteria and it comes with its time um, time to develop certification framework which turn out to be particularly challenging for EU cybersecurity certifications case so we can imagine it won't be very easy uh, for this certification scheme but it also comes with time and efforts from the companies to to go through the process and to to certify but the objective here is is not to limit um to limit companies out i think the objective is to have um at least a speed dial trusted um already vetted partners that you could rely on in emergency situation so we all know that um contractual arrangements or public tenders take a lot, a lot of time. And this is not the right mechanism to uh, bring in 
partnership in an emergency or a cyber incident situation. We have seen in different countries, uh, regions, I work with um, some also European projects where you have different, um, would not call it certification, but vetting uh, programs for suppliers of cybersecurity services with two objectives. First, to make sure that there is some sort of a, of a list that you could quickly pull experts based on their expertise that they have submitted, uh, but also that you could um, be more at ease about spending uh, public money on companies without having to go through a very lengthy process because you would do that at once. So to me, this is necessary. Um, this uh, cyber reserve to be able to pull the resources necessary in a quick manner, an emergency situation, or by respecting, you know, the um, the clean and trustful way of of um, of making this so without exposing uh, public uh, resources or without exposing sensitive information. Um, without due process. So in a way, you just shift the due process left, as we like to say, security early on, so that you don't have to deal with it in emergency situation. I think if we, we all became almost a, a immunologist and vaccine experts uh, over the COVID crisis, so if you think that um, the EU would have had a kind of a vetted procedure for, for they had actually this emergency uh, procedure. Without this emergency procedure for vaccine, you wouldn't have had any vaccine on time to actually save lives. This is the same here for cybersecurity. Without having already approved list of, of, of experts of uh, companies, you won't just be able to act on time. Uh, and going back to you, uh, Francesco, you mentioned that um, if done correctly, uh, public-private partnerships are usually beneficial. I, I guess that's a big uh, if. Um, so uh, we have seen that, uh, for example, on cyber threat intelligence sharing, um, the EU is much behind the United States, but also NATO. Um, and uh, sometimes it's not entirely clear what uh, private companies have to gain when collaborating with, with the public institutions or if they can even trust the intelligence they share uh, to, to, to remain confidential. So how do you think the Cyber Solidarity Act can help address all of that? Thank you, Luca. Well, this indeed is uh, an excellent question because uh, it's not easy to, to, to provide an answer. I would say that uh, in the cybersecurity world, um, let's say almost everybody or everybody understands the, the importance of sharing a CTI because everybody understands that uh, if you share CTI with other entities, you are making sure that they uh, also can act on, uh, on this CTI. They can use this uh, information to actually uh, prevent attacks against themselves or against uh, potential clients or against other companies in which they are in contact uh, throughout the supply chain. Um, so let's say the, the idea is widely accepted, I would say, that sharing cyber threat intelligence is important. But then uh, it comes down to practicalities. 
And it comes down to, as you said, a, a matter of trust. Uh, trust is uh, essential in a sharing CPI um, because uh, when you receive a cyber attack as a company, you normally have access to a lot of information. You have access to information of compromises. You have access uh, to different sorts of uh, information, uh, what kind of uh, um, attack was carried out what effect it had on your network and so on. So this is extremely valuable information. And uh, if you share it with somebody else, of course, everybody else, like the person we are sharing to, uh, can um, can learn from you, from uh, this attack, and can learn how to better protect themselves. But the issue is that when you share this, you're also exposing yourself a little bit because you are also uh, showing something of how your network infrastructure, uh, what are your assets, what has been uh, damaged and so on. So normally you try to anonymize it in a, in a certain way, but then the more you anonymize it, the less useful it is for uh, the recipient of, of this information. So normally CTI sharing works very well uh, for small communities um, where basically everybody knows each other. It's difficult to scale trust, um, let's say on a wide uh, level. So another method that we need to keep into account is that uh, trust uh, cannot be forced, cannot be imposed. And the CTI sharing happens only if people really um, feel the need to help the community. You can uh, uh, use legislation, for example, like the NIS2 and the Cyber Resilience Act to ask companies to make reporting. But you will never get the full picture if you just ask companies to, you know, to be compliant and tell you uh, what kind of attacks they had. You need to sort of uh, encourage them to to share willingly and uh, and this is something that uh, takes time because you need to build a community and uh, it takes time because uh, people usually don't want to to say that they have been uh, hacked or they have been uh, uh, compromised in uh, in any way and then another point i would like to make is that uh, sharing cti um, should be a two-way uh, communication so Ideally, uh, everybody should benefit from uh, sharing CTI. So with, between the public and the private, there's a lot of CTI. And, uh, and also another conversation can be made on, uh, okay, what kind of information we have to share. But ideally, if everybody's in the same boat and the private and public sector uh, would like to share CTI, they should uh, do it both ways. So both the private should communicate uh, its own CTI to the public and the other way around in order to make the whole community more resilient and more secure. It's, it's ultimately coming down to that. It's a matter of relationship, trust that you need to establish over time. You need to encourage companies to share and you cannot just force it top down. And it has to be a two-way uh, communication in which uh, both parties can actually uh, learn a lot from each other and help each other. Eva, giving you the floor, uh, I think that uh, Francesco struck a nerve here also uh, when he said about the the thing that uh, trust is easier in smaller communities. And I, I think that's the whole idea behind the, the regional uh, security operation centers, the SOCs. So uh, do you see this as a, as a launching pad to, to get this level of maturity in the European cybersecurity community to start 
sharing uh, cyber uh, threat intelligence first on a smaller scale and then uh, uh, building up. Smaller scale is, is important because what Francesco indeed mentioned is the trust um, the trust issue. But what I would like to bring as another dimension is not only the size, because it could be one-to-one discussion, but if it is company to government, it's intimidating. Um, it's, we cannot expect companies to feel completely uh, open, especially in a complex regulatory framework with many obligations, specifications, to be completely open and and, and share information as it comes uh, to governments. What could work, um, and we have seen already the seeds in Europe, is more sectorial um, discussions where peers in a sector, whether it's um, we have ISACs, for instance, Information uh, Sharing and Analysis Center, sectorial ISACs for energy, for uh, railway, for aviation, for um, financial services. So these to me are are elements and um, compositions which are at the moment most um, trusted, let's say, community where one can expect this kind of threat information to to be flowing. Uh, But coming back on the topic of the the cyber operation centers indeed um as i said it is a machine and the machine needs input um to give any output and this is one of the key factors of success of the socks whether they're mm, it doesn't really matter if they're company sectorial or national transnational if they have access to information that is um workable so it's in a format that they can use easily uh, that is complete so that it doesn't represent misrepresent the situation um that is uh live so it's it, it is relevant for today for now what is happening um this information needs to be floating into the socks for them to bring the value the value of a SOC is the analysis. Analysis supported by tools. Again, here it would depend how ambitious, and I have no doubts that European companies are, are very innovative. We would come up with a lot of AI solutions, machine learning. Um, it, it is very, very interesting case, actually, for cybersecurity to um, to implement these uh, AI tools for um, security operation centers, for monitoring, for analysis, whether it's on the on the attack surface, whether it is analysis on the events, so uh, some abnormal behavior that could trigger uh, some alerts. Um, so this is actually the very exciting part of SOC is the analysis part and how people can employ and create technology to to support them. And last but not least, I really see it as a a machine, the SOX. So you have the input, the threat intelligence. And here again, Francesco spoke about the issue. We have to fix this issue. Otherwise, the reminder would, you know, we stay trash in, trash out. Uh, Analysis, this is the real exciting part of the SOC. And I'm really looking forward to see how it develops. But then there's the output, 
So what do we do next? Do we have um, good machinery communication system? Do we um, know who to warn of what? Uh, would these people and companies and governments take action? Um, that are many questions that we would um, we would see how it evolve. My initial feeling is it would not be as easy um, in the beginning. It would be a lot of uh, learning on the go. But I think at this point of time we have enough um, threats to keep us on our tools. We are definitely um, investing, trying our best, and I hope we would also increase the overall level of maturity of the industry and of the, of the governments so that when there is, a, a, is an incident, there is an action from their side, they would be prepared also to take it on and apply it. So indeed, to, to sum up, there are at least three steps uh, for our machine to work, the input, the analysis and the output action. Thanks, Eva. Um, I, I think what we are still missing from from the picture is the sort of tension that we see between Brussels, that is trying to centralize cybersecurity capacity in terms of uh, operations and intelligence sharing, uh, we, and the member states that are trying to resist this uh, centralization trend. Uh, we have seen uh, uh, non-paper ahead of the Cyber Solidarity Act uh, with words of caution to the Commission. And we have seen how coldly uh, the joint cyber unit was initially welcomed and eventually faded away uh, in the EU discourse. So Francesco, how can there be uh, solidarity in the cybersecurity field if every country has its own uh, way, its own priorities? And, and why should go, uh, things go differently this time compared to the joint cyber unit? I cannot answer completely because it's more a question for the public sector, of course. Uh, what I can say is that there are uh, different ways to look at cybersecurity. You can look at cybersecurity from a market perspective, from a security slash law enforcement perspective, or from a defense defense perspective. Um, so, of course, uh, member states naturally tend to keep uh, security, law enforcement, and defense very close to to their area of competence, uh, while the EU uh, should and, and tries indeed to work more on the market aspect of cybersecurity. So, for example, uh, the Cyber Resilience Act went exactly in this direction to try to regulate the market on cyber uh, cybersecurity. And then I would like to add that uh, um, member states are already uh, collaborating uh, between each other in uh, several different ways. Uh, we don't need to forget that there's the uh, NIS coordination group, the CERT network, uh, the Cyclone uh, network, uh, and then at the council level and commission, they have the blueprint on cyber uh, for large-scale cyber attacks. Um, there will be this network of SOCs. So there are many uh, actual uh, opportunities for member states to cooperate with each other and cooperate at the European level. 
And then, uh, of course, it's a matter of uh, competence uh, between the European Commission and the member states, who does what. And we need to keep in mind that, uh, yes, member states, as I said before, they tend to act in their own sphere of, of competence, uh, above all the security one and uh, law enforcement and defense. But uh, I hope that in the future at European level, actually, we will manage to get a better coordination. And it looks like with this Cyber Solidarity Act that is going the right direction, that there will be more uh, cooperation and solidarity at European level. And also, if we... Uh, put into the framework the EU policy on cyber defense, uh, this communication that came out also fairly recently, uh, it goes in the same direction to have cooperation even in the field of uh, military uh, cybersecurity, which is uh, which was unheard of before because the uh, military sector is a very, let's say, special one. And of course, uh, very difficult to, to create the cooperation there. But... Um, the, the European Defense Agency, the European Commission, the European External Action Service actually pushed forward the idea of cooperating among the CSERTs of military level and also between the military sphere and the civilian sphere. So I would say that I'm very optimistic for the future because uh, even if it's difficult, it looks like we are heading in towards the right direction. I think that gives us the, a positive spin to, to our wrap-up. Francesco Bordone is Manager for Cybersecurity Policies at the European Cybersecurity Organization. Iva Tasheva is Cybersecurity Lead at Cyan. Thank you both. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evie Curie. I'm Yoruga Bertuzzi, and thank you for listening.